Welcome to Breaking the Surface, where we break into a delicious beverage and also dive into the topic at hand. I'm one of your co-hosts, Taylor Kramer. I'm the owner and lead producer for Cold Shower Media. I'm Pat Milligan. I'm a journalist here in Traverse City. And I'm another friend. I am Anthony Weber, and I am a pastor and an ethics teacher, and I am something of a fashion icon when it comes to oversized sweaters. The point here is that we want to go beyond the talking points to get to the depths of what is happening in our world. It should also be said that this podcast is part of the Boardman Review Podcast Collective in collaboration with Culture Media. The Podcast Collective aims to provide unique content curated by the Boardman Review, the creative culture and outdoor lifestyle journal of Northern Michigan. Welcome to episode three. Today we are discussing vaccines and we weren't quite sure who was going to lead this discussion, but I said I would give it a shot. Yeah, I'm really glad you are the one leading it. Oh, Uh, no. Can we restart the Yep, roll it back. Uh, Okay, take two. No, no, we're keeping that. So there are a number of ways we could talk about the vaccine, obviously. And I'd like to lead with just a little bit of a discussion about what's happening with the vaccine for the coronavirus. So I've become aware of something called the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System, and it's run by the CDC, and it's just a place where people can report adverse effects if they've had a vaccination. And this is for every vaccination, by the way. This isn't something new. And so they compile on there not just kind of side effects, but also fatalities. And I've seen this quoted quite a bit recently, usually in memes going around where someone will show a hey, uh, 1,900 people, I forget what I saw recently, have died after getting the COVID vaccine shot. So there's some things you need to know if you see information like this going around. Number one, anybody can report an adverse side effect, literally. It doesn't mean you're a doctor. It might not be true. In fact, there's some fairly entertaining cases. One doctor reported something kind of as a joke where he said he took vaccine and turned into the Hulk. And so this is just an initial site where people report things. Then the CDC goes in and they vet the information. And what they're generally looking for is trends. So let's just say there's a thousand deaths reported after people got the COVID shot. They're looking to see were 10 of those deaths of the same thing, or is this a thousand different things? Because that's going to make a difference. So that's the first thing they're looking for is trends. The second thing they're doing is simply studying is their correlation here or is there causation? Because those are two very different things. The last I found was that we have, or the United States has put out 109 million doses of COVID-19 between December 14th of last year and March 15th of this year. So that's not 109 million unique people because some people got the second dose, 109 million doses. This uh, website received 1,913 reports of death among people who had received a COVID-19 vaccination. A review of available clinical information, including death certificates, autopsy, and medical records, revealed that no evidence is shown that the vaccination itself contributed to the patient deaths. Mm. So, and and you might think conspiracy theory, but the bottom line is they're checking things like, what is the normal rate of death for people in this age category or this particular demographic? And if you get the vaccine and you die, but it's within the normal rate of death of people who would have died anyway, that's really not cause for alarm. And barring seeing trends, Uh, or seeing like there was a test originally where this seemed to be a problem, they have to make a call. Did the vaccine cause it or did someone get a vaccine and then someone died and they aren't necessarily connected? So at this point, the evidence seems fairly strong that people are not dying from getting the vaccine. 
Because eventually if we um, vaccinate, you know, the majority of the country, say 300 million mm-hmm. Americans, some of those Americans are going to die. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so at a certain point, you can't blame the vaccine for just like you're saying, the normal rate of death. Yeah. And there's a fair number of people who get their first vaccination shot and they already have COVID and then they die of COVID. Mm. I was looking at what's happening in Europe. I found another website that was going country by country. And because right now Europe is a little concerned about the, uh, I got to find the name of the vaccine that they're using over there. Is it the AstraZeneca? The AstraZeneca because of a concern about blood clots. And I just saw a story today that Germany has found a correlation with blood clots and it's been a few people who have died, literally a handful of people. But all the other things that have happened to people after the shots, I was reading this in country by country, they are studying it and their conclusions are, we don't see a reason to believe that this is a side effect or a result of getting the vaccination. It looks like it's just life. Now, I didn't study just adverse side effects in general if people are getting sick, but in terms of mortality, it is consistent around the world, barring what the Germans just discovered about a small risk of blood clots from the AstraZeneca. There does not seem to be a clear correlation between the vaccine and people dying. I've noticed like this is one of the many categories because of what I do as a journalist. I also moderate our social media account. So anytime we run a story about vaccines, I see the comment sections and people's responses. And I would say there are several areas in which there's either a lot of misinformation or a lot of apprehension about vaccines and the death rate is one of them. So I'm glad to hear that information and to get some facts about that. There's usually a lot of information about um, how the vaccine is produced. Like a lot of people don't understand that there's no viral content in these particular vaccines that you're not getting injected with COVID, even a dead form of COVID, um, which makes it kind of a cool and new, exciting kind of vaccine, (laughs) I would say. And then also there's the fact of how vaccination works rates work in terms of efficacy, right? So that there is going to be a percentage of the population that gets vaccinated and still gets COVID. It's not a hundred percent effective. So when you see cases of people being like, well, I got it and I still got COVID, that does happen with any kind of vaccination. We have almost no vaccines that have a hundred percent efficacy. Yeah. And, and you have to look beyond even just did people, did some small percentage of people get COVID afterwards? how serious were were the cases of COVID that they got? Because if it's keeping them out of the hospitals, then that's the ultimate goal, right? Yeah. If you're just sitting home with like kind of cold-like symptoms instead of getting on a ventilator, it's a big difference. I wonder if it's similar to getting the flu shot. I get the flu shot every year. Yeah. And it doesn't mean I don't get cold or sniffles or even feel nauseous at times, but I can't remember the last time I puked. Yeah. So I, I think I'm probably still getting sick, but not to the degree that I was. And it's much nicer, to be honest. Yeah. So let me give another twist on those stats. Let's just say that all of the deaths that are reported after someone gets the vaccine are legitimate deaths connected with the vaccine. So in the United States right now, we have approximately 30 million official COVID cases. From what I can see, the high end of the assumption of possible COVID cases would be eight times that amount. So let's multiply it. That would mean there'd be 240 million people in the United States who have COVID, official or unofficial. And we've had about 550,000 deaths. So if we would multiply the COVID doses that have been given out to match the 240 million COVID cases, we would have to multiply that 109 million doses by approximately 2.5. So we would multiply the deaths by that number. That takes us to 5,000 deaths. That's 5,000 compared to 550,000. 
So if your question is, am I better off getting the vaccine or getting COVID, you're better off getting the vaccine by far. And it struck me that over the last year, I often heard people saying, why aren't we talking about how many people have survived the coronavirus? Well, why aren't we talking about how many people who don't die from the vaccine? I mean, to be fair, if we're going to have both those conversations, and then you would ask me, which one would you rather take your chances with? I would much rather take my chances with the vaccine. And to Taylor's point too, it's like when you look at people who survive COVID, there are degrees of survival, (laughs) the same as there would be of like, if you got a vaccine, but still got COVID, how serious is it? Like there are a lot of what are called long haulers of people who've had COVID-19 and are having serious symptoms months and months and months afterwards. And one actual nice benefit of the vaccine is it seems to be in some of those patients improving those long haul symptoms when they get vaccinated. But you have this whole range of experiences within COVID, just like you could have a range of maybe reactions to a vaccine. So comparing, you know, having headaches or chills or whatever it might be from a side effect of a vaccine, a sore arm to again, what could be long haul symptoms of COVID-19 or being in a hospital. Those are also worth weighing as along with the death risks, you know. It's also worth considering that um, the people who are getting the shots right now are the people who are generally are at the most at risk mm-hmm. other than frontline workers. So you're also giving shots to the, the, the demographic that is most likely to struggle with health issues anyway. Mm-hmm. And oh, so even that doesn't seem like quite a fair assessment of the overall impact. Yeah, we're, we're vaccinating a lot of people over the age of 85 yes, who yes. are at very high death risk anyways. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's where a lot of the deaths that are reported don't seem to correlate with the vaccine. It just seems like life. Yeah. So are we, are we just able to move past this initial conspiratorial thinking of the uh, microchipping? And we, do you, have you guys seen that conversation like dissipate at all? Or do you think there's still a segment of people that are concerned about that? Or are we able to talk more about like the important things like we are right now? I've noticed since I got both the shots, I have really wanted to buy Microsoft products. So I don't don't know what to do with that. That means it's working. (laughs) I think it's died down because A, it was foolish to begin with, but B, what's the practical reality of they won't fit through a needle kind of sunk in. I I think the conversation has died down. I've seen that specific conspiracy theory die down. I think there are still some people who are like, you know, Bill Gates or whatever, but I would put that in a pretty extreme conspiracy group where I am seeing still some entrenchment is, um, you know, I just, again, seeing comments on our media site, a lot of people are like, I'm not going to put that junk in my body or this seems like don't let the government make you into a guinea pig or be experimental. Like the the quickness with which the vaccine was produced is alarming for some segment of the population. And I've had conversations before, maybe with Anthony, I can't remember if we'd done it on a podcast all, but you know, there were, there's from the medical community perspective, and you might have some information on this, Anthony, about the safety of the vaccine. We talked about the rates, but you know, when you clear a lot of bureaucratic red tape out of the way and pour a ton of money into things, scientific developments can happen (laughs) really quickly. We just often artificially slow that process down with either all these checks and balances or long approval processes, or there's just not a funding, enough funding available. It takes years and years and years to develop something. So I, I think it was developed safely, but I still see people concerned about that. The other concern I see is the use of, um, 
fetal cells to develop some of the vaccines and some um, questions of morality around that. Mm -hmm. I think what I've seen is I have seen obviously the microchipping conversation uh, kind of subside. Uh, I still think that there's different segments of people. So there might be segments of people who are saying, I'm not going to get the vaccine uh, simply because I don't want people to tell me what to do. And then there's other people who are saying, um, bringing up concerns like, what about how quickly it was developed and all the things that we've kind of already mentioned. And they might be presenting those as reasons not to get it, but I actually think it's because they don't want anybody to tell them what to do. And then there's, you know, other groups that are like, they have questions. So then they search for those answers and they, they get more comfortable. Like the technology that we are using to develop this vaccine has actually been in practice for years and years. We just have never utilized it like in this way. And so those are the kind of things, like even if, four or five months ago, I myself was like, what is it going to mean to have a vaccine that gets pushed through this quickly? Just look, look up, look things up to try to put yourself at ease. Like I'm now to the point where I feel fine. And once, once, um, the vaccine is available to my group, I'll definitely be, be getting it. You know, I just, I wonder, my concern is the people that aren't going to get it because they don't want people to tell them what to do. And not that there isn't even validity to that, but what percentage of the population is going to take that stance and is it going to really hurt everybody? Yeah, I think, I mean, just from talking to some of the local health experts, I think where they're hoping to make the more most progress and where I try to maybe focus as a journalist is in this group who's kind of in the middle of like uncertainty where they're not opposed to getting vaccines. They've gotten vaccines for other things. Like we're not talking about the hardcore anti-vaxxers, but people who are like for this particular one, they're like, I don't know. And it seems new and we haven't seen how many people are vaccinated yet. And then you hear stuff about the blood clots with AstraZeneca. Like, I think those are some valid concerns. I don't think it's wrong to ask questions and to do research. I think where the health establishment is trying to reach those people and explain some of the things that do seem to be misunderstood, like you're not injecting live virus into your body and trying to explain like how the vaccine works and address some of those questions. I think that's where there's the most potential ground. But if you're entrenched because you're either just diametrically opposed to the idea of vaccinations, but there's definitely a strong contingency of that in this country. Or like you said, Taylor, like people who are more just like, I'm not letting the government into my life or telling me what to do or whatever. I think those people are going to be more difficult to sway. And it, what I'm curious about is like how big that contingency right. is. Cause can we get to like the crucial herd immunity of like 70 more percent of the country yeah, at this point, it doesn't look like we'll ever get there. Yeah. It's interesting. I don't know. I don't know if we will either, but that's what, I mean, that's kind of what that science and medicine says we need <laughs> right. to, to kick this, you know? Yeah, it's going to be that. Well, they have kind of a broad range, don't they? We need to get to 70 to 90 percent to achieve yeah, that herd immunity. And there's just such a huge difference between those two percentages. So here, just to give you guys some examples here in Michigan. So we're recording this um, podcast in Grand Traverse County and in Michigan and Grand Traverse County, the rates are pretty parallel right now. But of the general population over the age of 16, which is the age group approved to get the vaccine right now, we have about a quarter of the population, both in Grand Traverse County and in Michigan, who have now been vaccinated. Starting this coming Monday, this this podcast will air, air a little later, but on March 22nd, it's going to open to anyone over 16 with medical conditions and then on April 5th to everyone over 16. And the eligibility will still take time to several weeks probably to work through everyone getting vaccinated. But I am so curious once the eligibility pool completely opens, where that percentage is going to go from 25% 
between like now and let's say June, because that's going to tell you, I think right now it looks like the vaccine doses and distribution system will be in place to vaccinate whoever wants to get vaccinated by like, let's say June, how close do we get to 70%, which is the state's goal for herd immunity is going to tell you how resistant the population is. I don't really know how big those numbers are right now. And here's some of the ripple effects of that. I sit on a local school board and the marker, at least before last week, was if 70% of the population got vaccinated, the kids in school could stop wearing masks and they could take away some of those protocol if we get to 70%. Yeah. And I think they might have actually raised it last week, which frankly, I think is an impossible goal, honestly. So I hope that they will revisit that. But yeah, it, there's more at stake than simply um, whether or not you get the vaccine. There's all kinds of implications. I just saw, I think something was released today. There's still questions about sporting events. I have my opinion about that. That's probably for a different podcast, but nonetheless, well, they are, there are markers that are offered to us. If you want things to open up, we need to hit these numbers and for better or for worse, that's where we're at. So you have been vaccinated. You've I gotten have, the vaccine because yeah. you're in the age group yep. and you, uh, no, because I work for a school. Oh, yep. okay. Okay. Yep. So I don't, ha I didn't have to bring rage into it, but I did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It seems to be a recurring theme. Yeah. Remember uh, George H. Bush's uh, ter first term? <laughs> and how, how was that experience for you? Uh, the, the first shot, I just felt a little off for about a day and a half. Mm -hmm. Not terrible, just felt off, like something's not quite right. The second shot was easier. Really? Yeah, it left a bruise on my arm, but I'm also on blood thinners. And so it left a pretty good bruise on my arm. But other than that, hardly felt it. Did you get the Pfizer or the Moderna? Pfizer. Pfizer. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And you haven't, Taylor, Turned and out. I haven't either because I'm 36. Although I do have- Bragging underlying... about your age now. Yeah, I see. I'm young, so we're <laughs> not eligible yet. But um, I will be eligible starting Monday because um, I have an underlying medical condition. And then, you know, everyone else, again, is not far behind. So what I'm like, I'm just curious about this. If you guys have had conversations about this yourselves or how you're feeling, Taylor, as someone who hasn't got it yet. This for me is the first time in a year because we've been in a pandemic that I have started to experience FOMO, mm. <laughs> which I had not experienced the last year because I had no fear of missing anything. There was no social events happening. I am starting to just, just be totally honest. I have my journalistic side where I know the science of like it's coming and I'm going to be patient and I know all the facts that have been told by the health department. And then there's the emotional personal side, which is like, I'm starting to feel anxious. I want to get vaccinated. Mm -hmm. And I'm seeing, I've had such interesting conversations, even just in the last two weeks of friends who've been able to get vaccinated because of maybe they are on a city commission and that's now considered, you know, essential frontline or they're in this position or this position. And I've had some, I would say tense, not always myself being tense. I try not to project that on people. I just go home and fume about it. Um, <laughs> but I've been, in part, I've been in part of conversations where I've had friends, you know, say to friends who have gotten vaccinated, like, kind of doing that little like passive aggressive thing. Well, like, well, I can't really believe that your group has gotten vaccinated when like people at the college haven't been able to get vaccinated. You know, like it's, it's starting to feel like uh, I read a slate magazine article today talking about like edge vaccinations, like people who are in sort of the gray zone of like, should you be qualified to get vaccinated or not? Where people are starting to be a little tight and a little like judgy with each other about like who's getting to the front of the line first. So I, I, I'm just, I'm feeling it myself. I just have to be honest and then trying to like calm and like, you know what, everyone who's vaccinated is protecting me and it's great for society. I know all that, but there is like the personal anxiety of like, I want to get it done. 
Yeah, I'm not necessarily feeling that. And it's not because I don't want to get the vaccine. I think it's simply because we've been in this thing a year. And I know that if everyone is being honest with themselves, they've gotten tired of all of this. And you are not behaving in the same way now that you were last March. Like we all need to, I need to understand that. Like last March, I was wondering if a a COVID bug was going to just fly through the woods and get me right. And here now we have more of like an understanding of how it works. And so I'm, I'm able to go out and do some things and they're all within the, within the rules. Yeah. And so that's just where I've been able to exist is where I'm kind of like, I think there's enough things out there for me to do mm-hmm. where life seems normal enough. And I don't have the personal fear of getting it. And I don't, again, I don't want that to sound irresponsible because I do want the vaccine so that I can just rest assured. But for me, it's just like, as long as I'm not putting other people at risk, that's been the kind of the main thinking. And I really don't want to come off as that guy. That's like, well, I'm not, you know, ever been worried about it because I have been. Um, but as long as I know, like other people are out there getting vaccinated and that when my time comes, I'll be able to do that. Now, if, if the lines for me had been open for a couple of months and I wasn't able to get in, then I think I would be starting to get like a little bit anxious. So if I'm not able to get the vaccine by mid-May or, or early June, or I don't know what it's going to look like, yeah. then I, I suspect I will be, I will be getting anxious. And I saw that too, with people who were eligible early, like elderly, and it was difficult for the elderly because a lot of them are not tech savvy, or at least in our area, they might live in rural parts of the County where they don't have good broadband or internet access. And a lot of the registration was like just online for appointments. So they were having difficulty navigating it. And then like, it's like, once you step through the door and you know, you're eligible, you're just trying to get these appointments and there's already jostling with your group for the appointments. And all of a sudden you feel this pressure of the crowd behind you that's yeah. trying to also start pushing through the door. And you're like, wait, I got to get mine first before this huge crowd comes in. I just think there's the one group who's like, I don't want it. I'm not going to get it. And that's a problem. But there's also like this emotional anxiety and tension of people who are wanting it and can't get it right away. And it becomes like this status symbol in a way of like, you see everyone on social media and I've almost like decided for myself, I don't know if I'm going to do that because I purposefully didn't post anything. Yeah, about it. It's, yeah. it's maybe like, I'll take one with my partner. Cause I think it will be emotional to finally get vaccinated and feel some sort of sense of safety, even if it's not a hundred percent and maybe take it for a keepsake for later. But if like we're in, if I get like vaccinated in the next few weeks and it's a phase where a lot of people still haven't, I just know how I have felt every time I see like the happy thing where like, I want to be happy for them, but I'm also still anxious and I don't want to cause that for someone else. But I think part of the FOMO is that you start like the CDC changed its guidelines for vaccinated people. So all of a sudden you've got like some of your friends are vaccinated and they're like, see you later. We're going to go have a vaccinated party where we can hang outside without masks or we're going to go to dinner because we feel safe. But like the unvaccinated person in the group is like, well, I don't. Guys, can I come along? I have to to wear a mask still or, you know, whatever. It's just, it's it's an awkward phase. It's kind of like masking, like your personal philosophy about it. You get into all these conversations with friends and family of different, you know, political or philosophical beliefs. And it gets a little tense sometimes. Beer that we are sampling this week is the Calabaza Blanca from Jolly Pumpkin, which is in Old Mission in Traverse City, Michigan. It is a farmhouse wit beer. It's 4.8% ABV. This is actually, this beer spends two months in an oak barrel. Really? Oh. Yeah, which is pretty amazing. And it's kind of a sour beer. And it's got taste of coriander, sweet orange peel, and bitter orange peel. Maybe it's the bitter orange peel that I'm tasting. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, I don't know, it's pretty good. I don't usually drink beers like this, but it, even though it's sour, I find it somewhat refreshing. Yeah, I, I, I really like it. And I'm surprised that it's spent so much time in an oak barrel. That's probably, Taylor, why it won the Hong Kong International Beer Award gold medal in 2015 for best wit. I would, I would place my money that that is the reason. That was really smooth transition. <laughs> and I just want to add that Jolly Pumpkin is, my, I live in the peninsula and this is right around the corner from my house. This is my neighborhood brewery and they make a lot of great beers. Good spot to hang out. So yes, it is. I'm enjoying it. It does in some ways seem just like a continuation of, of the mask. So now instead of a mask, there's a vaccine and it's not as visible. That was the one thing about the masking that was, like just this, if you were to draft up a really interesting social experiment, it might be like have a pandemic and see if people will wear masks or not. Because that, I was just fascinated by that. Some, and sometimes I was very angry and very frustrated, but mostly I was pretty fascinated. Like really that person is just not wearing a mask and they're talking in people's faces and doing whatever they want. And I was always just watching that really closely because I wanted to see how people would react to that or how a person not wearing a mask would react to someone telling them to put one on. It was all really fascinating stuff. And this seems like just a continuation of that. And are people going to be asked to take a vaccine that they don't really want to take because they're being told it's for the greater good? And how are you going to respond to that? Because that's the exact same conversation that it was with the masks a year ago. Mm -hmm. And I think the other thing you'll see continue is if someone was of the opinion that people who wore a mask was living in fear or a person who wore a mask was living in fear, I think they'll probably be all of the opinion that people who get a vaccine are living in fear. Mm -hmm. Or just like a sheep willing to let the government put whatever chemicals they want inside of you. What you were sort of hinting at, Taylor, is something I wanted to ask specifically knowing Anthony is sometimes libertarian leanings <laughs> about this. I, I'm really curious about this. So at a certain point, we're going to have a majority of people vaccinated, whether or not we get to herd immunity or not, we don't know. But like, let's say like three months from now, we might have a good chunk of the country vaccinated and they're, they're working on getting a child vaccine. Like this is going to become a thing, right? So at a certain point, it's not happened yet. I've asked many employers this question, school systems, hospitals, like, will you consider a mandated vaccine at some point? Um, and that hasn't been an issue that they've had to deal with yet because the availability of the vaccine hasn't been there to fulfill a mandate. So they can't even get enough vaccines to mandate their employees to do that. But at a certain point, there will be enough available. That is going to be, I think, a really challenging philosophical issue for the country. There are a lot of ways where quote unquote, vaccine passports can play out. So there's been very serious discussions in the travel industry about requiring vaccinations to travel. So imagine like your ability to get on an airplane could depend on whether or not you've gotten a vaccine and can prove it. That was actually one of my big incentives to get the shot. Was it really? I didn't even know. It was a surprise to me that I was able to get the shot. Okay. And I wasn't that personally worried, but I had always planned to get it because I did feel like it was a contribution toward a goal we needed to hit. But then when I started thinking about the travel implications, because there are some places that I would like to fly to, I thought, yeah, if nothing else, I'd like to have that available. Yeah. And then, then from there, so that's one. And, and by the way, these industries have the right to regulate some of these things. Hospitals and schools are the big ones that have the right to require their employees to be vaccinated. Right now, schools, and this has been a hot topic because I've reported on before for like um, mumps and measles vaccines or other, other vaccines that have come up. We have this religious exemption in Michigan, and it's not been 
clear to me yet how that's going to apply to the COVID-19 vaccine, but I assume it might be similar where a parent can claim that they don't want to vaccinate their children for religious reasons and they cannot do that. The schools, if there's any hint of a disease outbreak, can exclude those children from the school. They are legally allowed to say unvaccinated kids cannot come to school for this period of time. Well, it would make sense if there's a case of measles yeah, and you know there are unvaccinated children in the school who could get measles, they would probably run into some lawsuit issues if they didn't. Right. Highly, highly contagious disease for unvaccinated people. But it still has caused a lot of consternation among some parents that I've interviewed about their kids being excluded from school or this pressure to get vaccinated. And I just wonder... What is going to happen when we get to the point where schools or employers or airlines are requiring vaccines and even softer areas of society? Like what if to get into a music festival, you have to show that you're vaccinated or a film festival or whatever it is. I'm curious what you guys feel about that level of requirement, especially Andy or Anthony being a little uh, libertarian. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I'm starting to sweat already <laughs> yeah. the idea of being required or mandated to put something into your body that you might not feel comfortable with, um, to en- engage in all these kind of critical areas of society. So my initial thought is that I would make a distinction between what government and government related entities require versus what privately owned entities require. As far as I'm concerned, a privately owned business, if Cracker Barrel wants to require all their employees to get vaccinated, Cracker Barrel can do that. And if the general population just thinks that's a horrible idea, they cannot go to Cracker Barrel and Cracker Barrel will have to change its policy. Like that's the whole free market concept somewhat playing out. So to me, you know, private schools, private, privately owned businesses, you name it, they can make whatever standards they want. I think that's probably always been the case. Yeah. Um, barring, you know, discrimination laws. I would have a much more difficult time with government run organizations doing that because I think something we generally appreciate in the United States is that we don't want the government to have coercive power in the sense that it becomes a nanny state, quote unquote. Um, so I, I don't, I would really wrestle with that one, Beth, even with the, the public school example Um, I feel like in some ways, if it's going to be publicly run, that is the government says we will educate children, that in some sense, the government has to meet children where they're at. Um, Now, let me go through, I'm going to play kind of devil's advocate with myself on this. Sure. um, Because I do feel like there's a tension there. On the other hand, it also seems to me that the government has a responsibility to protect public spaces. Um, And so I'm also sympathetic to the idea that they are responsible. If they are requiring kids to go to school, mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't require a kid to show up into a dangerous place. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so they also have a responsibility if they're going to require it to, to make that the kind of place in which they are responsible caretakers of the, of the, the students that they have. Perhaps the solution has something to do with uh, education being much more available for people to make their own choices. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I like the idea of, of people having the financial freedom to make more educational choices. Because then, let's take, for example, vouchers. That's the word I've been trying to think of and I've been talking all around it because I couldn't think of it. This is why I would like to see vouchers happen, because I think then it does give people genuine choice 
to be able to go somewhere and say, I appreciate how they're handling this or not handling this. So you could, for example, have people who go to a school and, they, and that school says, listen, you don't have to wear masks. You don't have to be vaccinated. You don't have to get any vaccines. You're welcome to our school. Mm-hmm. Okay. If you can staff that school and have kids there, um, that, that's as far as I'm concerned, that's fine. You might not have other teams play you in sports. And I mean that seriously, like yeah. you can't control how other people will respond to you, but sure. And then you'll have another school that is extra careful with everything, right? They're going to get the shots and they're continue to require you to wear two masks. And so some people will go there and that'll be populated. So I, I actually think the solution to this is probably once again, helping people to have the freedom to be able to make those kinds of choices. This is all off the top of my head, Beth. And I feel like any position I take can probably be dissected, but I, I generally get nervous the more the government is giving increasing power up, um, especially on things that we eject into our bodies. While, while I personally will eject those things into my body. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I am not as scared of them as some people are. Maybe I should be, but I'm not. I tend to think I am participating in a greater good type of thing that I want to opt into. And so I do all those things. My kids got all their vaccinations. Um, I, I try to take the public health thing seriously. So I personally am very proactive in that, but I would be very reluctant to support a government that gets overly coercive. Yeah. I want to let Taylor weigh in. I think the one thing I would say just as, just as I'm thinking of it in response to what you're saying is I, I think I stopped shy of like the government holding you down and forcing you to get injections. Like, I think I would not support a federal mandate on vaccines. I think for me, I, I do have a little bit enough of that, respect for individual autonomy that even though I really support the science behind vaccines and think people should get vaccinated, I I don't like the idea of mandating it on a governmental type level like you're talking about. However, because it is such a health risk, I am completely fine with severe social consequences for not getting vaccinated. And that could be exclusion from private businesses. It could be very difficult for you to engage in parts of society because it's such a high risk that you're posing Mm -hmm. by not getting vaccinated. If you can find those pockets where you can get the services that you want and engage in a way that you can do that unvaccinated, great. I don't want the government to hold you down and inject you, but I think you need to be prepared for exclusion from a lot of areas of society. And how about this? Sorry, Taylor. Uh, Let me say one other thing in response to Beth. I am a fan of the smaller the circle of power, the better. So I would totally agree. I don't think the federal government should mandate. Now, do I think states should mandate? Not necessarily, but that's better than the federal government because someone could always move out of a state. Do I I want uh, counties to mandate? Uh, not necessarily, but that's better than the state because you could move out of the county. Like if Grand Traverse County says, if you're coming to our schools, anywhere you go, you need to have a vaccine. Someone can move to Wexford County, right? So the smaller that coercive bubble would be, the happier I would be with it, if that makes sense. And the only thing I think is I'm contradicting myself is that I, I would have supported a federal mass mandate. Oh, <laughs> so okay. that's funny. Like I, I see the, I see the, um, the conflict in those and that belief system or the maybe hypocrisy. And so I'm just trying to think through it in my head. <laughs> I think because of the mask being temporary and reversible and a vaccine yes. being yes. more permanent, mm-hmm. I guess. Would yeah. Be I don't think that's hypocritical thinking. Yeah. I think it's a great distinction. Yeah. There's a means to an end, I think with the mask. And I, I was able to identify that personally right at the very beginning. Mm. I didn't ever think we were going to live in a world or in a country where we were going to be wearing masks for the, you know, the rest of our lives. And so I was okay with participating in it. 
Has it gone on longer than I thought it was? Yes, but that's not because I think the government is overreaching. I think it's because we didn't understand the complexities of COVID. And um, I don't know if I have an answer. I, I, I would say I would stop short as well of like a federal mandate for something like a vaccine, but it's going to require so many individuals to really look themselves in the mirror. And we've all seen the word tyranny thrown around like, like nothing lately. And what I want like people to- Like stimulus checks. Yeah, they just throwing <laughs> tyranny like stimulus checks. And I wish, I wish I had that many stimulus checks. Um, if people have been using the term tyranny, they have to decide like when, when they want to use it and, and maybe place it a little more properly. So I don't think that you're going to be able to say if you're against the vaccination, it is tyrannical to require a vaccination um, when at the same time you're choosing to maybe enter a private establishment that is requiring masks. And if you have to then be removed from that space because you're not wearing a mask, you can't say that's tyrannical. Mm -hmm. um, so you can't use the tyrannical for both of those. You can't refuse to get the vaccine and then complain about how private businesses are, are practicing things. And we've seen that play out over and over where it's like, is that tyrannical or would it be more tyrannical to, um, to not allow that business to execute um, the removal of that person, not execute the person, <laughs> remove them. A right? very important distinction. <laughs> yeah. I'm not for execution for those that don't, don't get vaccinated. Right. Cause I've seen like with that, with that discussion, I've seen, you know, people get, when the word tyranny is around, I've seen people get very supportive of businesses who have defied state orders, you know, who have, let's say, stayed open for indoor dining when they were supposed to be closed because it's a business owner's prerogative to make a living and to stay in business and to operate their business. But then they're unsupportive of a business owner that wants to enforce a mask mandate because they want to be in business and keep their employees safe. So I, I see some hypocrisy and application of the argument sometimes. Yeah. I mean, we, it was popular up here, right. To stick those signs in the yard of thank you, sheriff for protecting our rights because the sheriff uh, right at the beginning of the pandemic had said that he was going to refuse to enforce any mask policies. Like mm -hmm. if you saw people not abiding by the rules. And so I do always wonder, like, I want to knock on those people's door and just ask, like, do you know anybody that's been negatively impacted by COVID? And I wonder how many people like have that sign in their yard and they're like, yeah, my spouse died from it. Mm -hmm. Or, and you know, and I'm still flying this, this sign proud. Um, I don't, I think that a lot of our reactions to COVID has been due to a disconnect. And if there's strong reactions to it, it's because we've experienced it firsthand. And we're sometimes um, unable to kind of cross those lines and, and have empathy for those different types of people. Well, here's a practical example. If you talk to people who work in the healthcare industry, especially people who work at the local hospital, uh, they're traumatized. Yeah. 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 And it, I actually, I, I try to stay in contact with people that I know who are working in the hospitals. I have a friend who works for the CDC in Florida. And I, I will send them messages on a semi-regular basis. What do you think of this? What do you think of this? Because I'd like to know a boots on the ground view from people that I know and that I trust. Like I know their character, I know their integrity, and I know the field that they're in. Because it can be one thing to read an article from Dr. Fauci or the, the WHO, who also makes great out. It, it's got to be a better acronym. Um, okay, so... Because that can that can be easy to look at and go, I don't know them. I don't know what kind of big money is changing hands, you name it. But my personal doctor and then the people that I know in the industry, I want to know from them, what do you think of the vaccine? How seriously I should be taking this? Are masks helpful or not? 
And I get very consistent answers from them that line up with the approach that I'm taking. And, and to me, that gives me great confidence. This isn't just some pie in the sky conversation taking place where all that's going is political wrestling. These are professionals who take their job seriously. And if I'm going to give them the credit, I think they deserve, I need to take what they say seriously. That, that's been like, I think the first thing I do when I've approached topics like this is luckily I am not the smartest person I know. And so when there's <laughs> an issue, lucky Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> and so when there's an issue like this in the middle, I ask myself, okay, are there, are of all the smart people that I actually know in my life, not people that I'm YouTubing, you know, not Dr. Fauci, how many are saying that the vaccine is something they're going to take and that they, they feel comfortable with and how many are saying, no, I'm not going to do that. And I'm just kind of weighing like, oh, some of the most intelligent, measured, well thought out people that I have in my life are on board with the vaccine. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just, I'm kind of, yeah, talking to people that are really in my life. And I think that is, that is important because it gives a greater context too. If you actually know that person and you know, you can trust that person. I think I feel a little bit of fatigue, maybe anticipated fatigue of having to go through this philosophical rigmarole again <laughs> on a different issue like we did with mass. Now it's vaccines. I feel more hopeful because I think vaccines are going to be much more effective in changing our country and normalizing things again. So I'm hopeful for that. But I just know, like, I, could be, I know because I've already seen it, that there have been conversations about who's vaccinated and who's not within a family or within a social circle and people, you know, wanting to get their parents to get the vaccine. The parents are like, I'm not doing that. And that's like, okay. I, I have friends who have newborn babies who are like, yeah, we'd love to have you come see the baby as soon as you're vaccinated. That's, you know, and if there are family members, grandparents, whoever, who don't want to get vaccinated, that becomes a really painful conversation. I've seen that conversation already with masking. Like if you're going to come over for Thanksgiving, people have to be masked with me inside and then you get in those family dynamics. But if it's like, I don't want to see you or spend time with you, I would love to, but I, I don't feel safe doing that until you get vaccinated. And, you know, for the people who don't want to get vaccinated, for many people, it can be a very deep personal emotional decision. And I think part of the frustration is that I think a missing point of the conversation a lot of times is like a lot of people that I've seen not wanting to wear masks or not wanting to get vaccinated think that that decision only affects them and it doesn't. So you kind of have this bubble thing of like either like, well, I'm not going to live my life in fear. You can choose to, if you want, I'm going to go out and do this. It doesn't work that way. You know, like you drunk driving doesn't just affect you. It affects other people. That's why we have these societal rules. So we're going to get into the phase where people are going to cut unvaccinated people off, you know, whether it's in the social ways that we talked about, whether it's business, airlines, travel events, or it's in the personal ways of like, I'm not going to let you see my newborn child, or I can't be inside with you. I'll hang out outside. I just, I'm just a little bit exhausted already thinking about going through that again. <laughs> you know, I wonder if part of the exhaustion, Beth, is that there seems to be a, a question of priorities. Like what is the most important thing in your life is the most important thing. I'll use the example of the family thing is, or, or the friends who said you can come see us when you get vaccinated because we have a newborn. Okay. It seems to me, if someone would say that to me, I have to make a choice. What do I value more? Their friendship and my ability to see them face to face and spend time with them or not get a vaccine. Uh, and I think the same thing with masks. If someone says, I, sorry, you can't come over unless you wear a mask. Well, now I make a choice. Is it more important to me not to wear a mask for an hour or two 
is that more important than spending time with people that I love? And I wonder if that's part of the emotional toll this is taking is that it, it can feel trying to phrase this carefully. It can feel very much. If someone says, I will not do the thing that you ask for whatever reason, it's hard not to conclude that what they're doing is more important to them than you are. And I think it's trickier with a vaccine for the reasons that we talked about earlier of the reversibility where even someone who might be an anti-masker is like, okay, I don't like it, but I'll put on a a mask to see my grandchild for an hour. I'll do that. Or because I have to go into a grocery store, I'm not allowed to do it without a mask. I'll, I'll bite the bullet. If you feel either because of, and we haven't talked about this much yet, but because of the fetal cells being used in vaccine production or because of what you perceive to be a highly unsafe substance being injected into your body, that is a much more, that's a much bigger hill to climb yeah, to, yeah. to get over that. To, to So then it becomes like the anger, I think becomes more pronounced because it's like, you're asking me to do something that I think yep. is going to compromise my safety or my deep spirituality, morality to see this grandchild. I can't, I can't do it. You know, I just, I think the conversation is going to be harder. And that's a great point because I'm largely referring to people that Taylor talked about earlier who just like, nobody's going to tell me what to do. Yeah, sure. Okay, then you got to make a choice. Is that more important to you than the relationships in your life? I'm glad you brought up the thing about um, the ethics behind the virus or the vaccine because you're right. That has been a huge issue, especially for conservative Christians about how stem cell lines were developed, et cetera. So I've been looking up how... The Catholic Church in particular is advising people on this particular vaccine because the Catholic Church tends to be kind of the gold standard on being very careful about the ethics of the way something was um, something was made, particularly vaccines. And what was interesting to me was that the advice being given to Catholics right now is that the Pfizer and the Moderna ones are okay. And one of the main reasons is they are developed differently. They are not developed from stone cell lines. There is one phase in testing, I think it's the final phase, where they are tested on something that did develop from stem cell lines, but it's not part of the creation of it. So they have said it's okay. The Johnson & Johnson, they are saying, is okay if there is nothing else. Like kind of as a last resort, because their sense is that the saving of life at this point is a moral good that outweighs concerns about where the Johnson & Johnson vaccine came from. I think the AstraZeneca didn't even try. (laughs) Uh, That one was developed really fast and fetal stem cells everywhere from my understanding. And, but I don't think that was being used in the United States. So that hasn't come up as part of the conversation. So I, for what it's worth for people who are concerned about that, uh, I was reading at the center for bioethics and human dignity this week. I've been trying to see what different Protestant groups are saying about this. In terms of official organizations, I have seen a blanket approval of Pfizer and Moderna, and often a kind of cringy approval of Johnson and Johnson if nothing else is available. And this is a completely, I don't want to go too far down a rabbit hole, but and we get, this is a separate conversation. But for me, it's a little bit like I've just smirked, I guess I have to just say for no other better term about this conversation, because for me, there's no getting around the fact that stem cells and fetal cells have been instrumental in the development of many vaccines. And so as someone who's pro-choice, but thinks that the pro-life pro-choice discussion is very complicated. And you and I have talked about that before. I think we've had 
thoughtful conversations about it. But that particular like hill to die. And is like, I just, I don't think you can get around it. I just don't think you can get around how this has contributed to science. And if you're going to take a vaccine, you have to like fully acknowledge that and just maybe comp like maybe just acknowledge, like I'm trying to acknowledge that the debate around pro-life issues is murky in many, many ways. And this is one of them. Uh, that's interesting. What you said about the Pfizer and Moderna one, cause I, d I myself didn't know that. And as I was thinking of how to approach this, topic and what my answer would be is I was, I kept thinking about for some reason, this might be a terrible comparison, but for people that are like reducing plastic or cut down on plastic, they always have that, that, uh, push and pull of like, okay, well there's a bottled water over there and I'm super thirsty. Um, <laughs> it's already been produced. So am I good just to drink it? Or right. am I gonna, am I gonna stick with not using that plastic? And, um, you know, I was thinking it might have to be that same way is like, are they going to stop producing um, that vaccine in that way because I refuse to get it? Probably not. And so I think I'm going to have to have to get that one. Yeah. But and the I, church, the church, at least yeah. the Catholic church seems to be having the conversation of like, what's the greater evil, yeah. like saving the most amount of lives. I think that all, all of this conversation ought to occur in a discussion of the entire history of the medical field, because it is absolutely certain that over thousands of years of doctors discovering how the human body works, et cetera, there were absolutely atrocities that contributed to that knowledge. For that matter, we all benefit from things the Nazis discovered. Right. It's horrible. Awkward. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it's awkward. <laughs> yeah. And I, that's where there, there does come a point. And I, in some ways, I think distance and history makes a difference. The further removed you are from some particular atrocity, I think the less you become uh, complicit in the support of it. At some point, it has so infiltrated into everything that we do that to try to avoid it is probably impossible. And now we're asking questions, okay, now that it is here, what good can be done with it? And along with the question, and how do we never repeat whatever happened before that was immoral that got us to where we are? I think those things can happen at the same time. And also why, you know, that history of sort of um, evils being perpetrated in the medical industry is why, for example, the choice of everyone to get a vaccine or not is complicated for me, like for the black community, you know, like there's a lot of black hesitancy around vaccines and distrust of the medical community for very yeah. good reasons, yeah. <laughs> like the Tuskegee experiments. So it, it's not obviously like a one size fits all of why someone might have concerns about vaccine. And because COVID-19 has disproportionately affected black the black population. I hope there are better conversations. I hope the medical community can listen to those concerns and find a way to reach out to the community in a way that is empathetic and understanding. Because if I was a black American, I'm certainly not, but if I was, I would, I, I understand the distrust, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. When, when the government has freely experimented yeah. on you in the past without your knowledge <laughs> without or consent. Knowledge. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and so even then Beth, so that that's also one reason I wouldn't like to see the government be coercive on this because you don't have to be black to see what happened and go, okay, I have questions. Mm -hmm. And so while I am, while I am comfortable with the choice that I made to get the vaccine, I am hesitant to think of a government that would say, no, in spite of our history yeah. <laughs> of using this badly, we insist that you must have it. That uh, makes me pretty nervous. Or same for Native Americans, really any minority population that is distrustful of the government. I'm like, I kind of understand <laughs> why you would be. I, I just hope for their sake, you know, that that they find a way to be comfortable with it, because I think those populations need to benefit from that. 
Yeah. And this kind of leads to a, a, a different thing, but as I was working through, um, how am I going to interact with people that I disagree with on this topic? So obviously I've stated that I'm in support of the vaccine. My wife has it. I'll plan on getting it as soon as I can. Um, and kind of the same, well, not so much the same with the masks, but with this, I've had to tell myself that if I'm disagreeing with somebody on this, it's in my best interest so that I don't hate everybody uh, to assume that they spent a very long time arriving at that position. And it's my hope yep. that they have. Yep. Um, I know that that's not always the case, but we talked about how complex this is and we've taken some thought and put in, put thought into why we're comfortable with the vaccine. And so I have to just trust that if people aren't comfortable with it, that they're looking very deeply at it, either to, um, I don't know, further entrench them in that thinking um, or to to draw them closer to getting the vaccine. Yeah, I think we're just going to have a lot of philosophical discussions, you know, on another day, another time we could talk about the fact that there's a whole debate about 16 and 17 year olds, whether they have the right to get a vaccine without parental approval or parental knowledge or consent. Like that's a whole controversial issue in the industry right now, but it's, there's just, we're kind of on the, the precipice of, I think we'll probably have future podcasts at some point. Cause I think there's so many ethical issues that will rise that we haven't addressed yet. Anthony, you want to take us out of here? You were, you were leading the charge on this, so it's only right to... Like I get the last word? Yeah, go ahead, man. Just this one time. Uh, I, I do think this next year will be interesting because more people will get COVID and recover. So you'll have the building of antibodies. You won't necessarily need the vaccine. And I suspect that people who don't get the vaccine will eventually get the coronavirus. And so between those two things, we are, we are going to move toward that herd immunity. It just might take longer than we thought if we don't do the thing with the vaccines. I'm with you, Taylor, in that I'm not interested in trying to shame other people into getting it because I like your approach. I would like to assume people have studied very hard and tried to make a good decision. I might disagree on the sources they're studying, and I, <laughs> and I probably do, and, and that's probably a, a separate discussion. But I, I think I can wish that they would get it while having a good faith view that they are trying hard to make good decisions. Um, that I feel like is something we could talk about in another podcast, just about how we go about trying to sift through all the information that's out there and be wise with the types of things that we lean on. <laughs>